0: Thank you. You can remain standing. I assume that means I still have a job. Thank you very much. That's great. Welcome to all of you at our Stevens Point campus, family and friends over there, as well as over in Appleton. Good morning to all of you guys. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God. The Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you here this morning, and all of you online and on our campus as well as I'm sporting my Pee Wee Herman look here this morning. You like this suit? Styling. I have lost a lot of weight, and I can finally fit in the suit. The problem is I'm about two bratwursts away from never wearing it again. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how I do. <laughs> anyway, I want to say thanks to all of you for being uh, so kind uh, to me uh, and giving me time to step away for uh, some time. Uh, after all that happened, and uh, you guys are a wonderful family, and I very, very much appreciate it. I've uh, been very busy running all over Kingdom Come, which has also been good for me, but it's good to be back home, be it ever so humble. There's no place like home. (laughs) Anyway, uh, this morning I want to share with you a message entitled, Have You Ever Felt Like a Loser? You ever feel like you just don't measure up somehow you just can't get it right you've made too many mistakes you've done too many awful things God has to really be tired of you do you sometimes feel like you're a mistake that God is so disappointed in you he'd rather not be seen with you in public (laughs) despite your desire to do right you end up doing wrong you end up putting the sin in Wisconsin When we left off with our uh, series on the significant events of the Old Testament, which I will be picking up again now and continuing, uh, we uh, left off with Moses, and uh, Moses was quite the character. Whenever whenever you think that you just don't measure up, and you're too far gone, and you've just gotten so off the path, there's no hope for you, I want you to know there's always hope for you. Some of the most amazing men and women in the Bible were completely and totally jacked up. In uh, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, we read this very familiar verse that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We celebrate that. We're excited about that. We have new life in Christ. We're baptized. Everything's as fabulous as we start afresh, but then we start to stumble again, start to mess up, and then we start feeling very, very badly. And of course, the devil comes along and whispers in your ear that you're a loser, that God can't possibly have a plan for you because you are just too jacked up. But as we were talking about Moses, now Moses is quite the character. Moses was a murderer. And we often skip over that because You know, it's put in the context of he sees this Egyptian, you know, beating up an Israeli or or being harsh to him and Moses steps in and kills him and we think, well, that was totally justified. It wasn't justified. You, You can't kill bullies, okay? You can't kill a foreman at work who's a jerk, though the thought may have crossed your mind. It's not the right thing to do. The man who comes down from the mountain with stone tablets written with the very finger of God and says, thou shalt not kill, was in fact himself a murderer. It got him in big trouble. He had to go running for his life because they wanted to come after him, prosecute him, as they should have for what he did. And he runs off to the far side of the desert. He's like out there for 40 years hanging out with goats, lambs, and just very, very far away from God, it would seem. Not only did he run off as a murderer, he marries into a pagan family uh, and not just an everyday pagan family. Uh, The father-in-law was a priest of Midian. He was a priest of this pagan ritual, godless, whatever, you know, idolatry thing that they did. And the Bible doesn't say, but you've got to assume that at some point, Moses is entering into the worship of these false gods. This is family. You know, family's family, right? He's a priest. The daughters, I'm sure, are all into it. The one he marries is into it. The man who brings us, thou shalt have no other god before me. Undoubtedly dabbled into the gods of Midian. Uh, marries this chick. By the way, gets him in trouble. Later on, the Israelites complained against Moses because of this woman that he had. They didn't like her. Who is this chick? You know, and she's not a, she's not a Jew. Moses, the one who taught them that they should only marry other Jews, himself did not marry a Jew. Miriam uh, got real critical of him, and uh, God so so ticked, he slapped her with leprosy. She quick repented, and it was gone right away. That's kind of cool. Wouldn't it be great if people said nasty things about you and they turned into a frog or something? Wouldn't that be cool? Don't have quite the standing of Moses. But anyway, uh, he he was something else. And remember, when God came to him, this is where we left off, God called him, he appears to him in a... Bush talks to him in an audible voice. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses goes, no, nah, I don't want to. No, you need to go do it. No, nah, man, go find somebody else. Over and over. Remember when I read this? Just because oh, not me. I, I can't talk. I, I don't know how to talk. He said, well, well, get you know Aaron. He'll talk for you. By the way, for a guy who couldn't talk, Moses seemed not to be able to shut up once he got going. In fact, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, it is his last sermon to the people, his last speech. You think politicians go along. Holy buckets, read that thing. You're thinking, this is one sermon? <laughs> I'd be going, shut up! Oh, my goodness, going on and on. La, 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 la. I have the attention span of a fly. I'd be looking at the sand going, what's that down there? He refuses. And we read a very obscure verse that says God was going to kill Moses. You don't hear this in the story. We've got to skip over that. You "You mean God's going to kill me if I don't do what he says? No, no, that's not the way it works. But if God himself appears to you and talks to you in an audible voice and you tell him to stick it, that's a bad day for you. All right. So he's ready to off Moses. It was his pagan wife who interceded before God for him and spared his life. Finally, Moses, as jacked up and as messed up as he was, 80 years old by now, he's not exactly thrilled about any of this. He goes and does it, and God does amazing things with him, which we will pick up probably starting next week talking about these significant events of the Old Testament. But there are other people that were quite a mess in the Bible. You remember Noah... Noah comes through the flood. God himself is with Noah, speaks to Noah. Goes all this. Well, the first thing Noah does is when they get on the backside of the flood, he plants a vineyard, and he makes some wine, and he gets plastered. I mean, seriously, plastered. Now, as I've said many times, the Bible does not say you cannot drink. It says you shouldn't get drunk under the influence of, eh, all right. Well, Moses, or Mo, Jonah, and Noah, and I didn't drink this morning, all right? Noah got so drunk, the Bible says he was buck naked. Now, I don't know how drunk you got to get before you decide these are really in the way. I mean, I've seen some drunk people. I just ain't never seen no drunk naked ones, and I don't want to, all right? But he is naked as a jaybird, plastered out of his ever-loving mind. That's a lot of wine. You know, at least here we got whiskey and stuff to help stuff along. He didn't have that. Just plastered on wine, not exactly a good thing to do. Talked about Jephthah, we'll get to him. Jephthah is really jacked up. The guy is just a pig of a man. And he's a bully, and nobody likes him. They chase him off. But when the country got in trouble, they go to Jephthah to pull him out of trouble because there was nobody else who was very strong. Nobody else knew how to be a leader. So they finally talk him into it. Well, Jephthah, he's dumb as a brick. He doesn't know jack. He's caught up in the middle. During this dark time of Israel, they were half in God, half in paganism. They did all kinds of crazy things. So Jephthah prays this prayer, God, God, Give me a victory today, and I'll sacrifice the first person that walks out of my tent. Now, I've seen theologians do all kinds of intellectual backflips trying to explain a way that that didn't really happen. Of course it happened. It's exactly what they did. That was their problem. They were so tied into paganism, they did all kinds of stuff. And in Psalms, uh, the psalmist tells us that this is what they did. They sacrificed their children. To these false gods, I mean, they were jacked up. They were a mess. So he comes and he says, oh, Lord, help me win this battle. I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of his tent. Now, who do you think he thought was going to come out of the tent? His wife, right? Lord, help me win and I'll kill the old bat. You know, that's what he's doing. But then who comes walking out of his tent? His daughter. And he sacrifices his daughter. Again, theologians try to explain it all away because God would have never had any. God had nothing to do with any of that. There's not one thing God said any of that stuff. He's just an idiot walking around, blathering off his mouth. doing. They won the battle. But uh, talk about someone who's jacked up, someone who doesn't get it, someone who's making mistakes, yet God still uses him. You know the story of Samson, Muscle Man Samson, although the Bible doesn't say he was a muscle man, that's the interesting thing about it. You know, it, it, and usually the Bible goes out of a way to point out physical characteristics about some of these guys. Uh, you know, David had red hair, or this guy had that, or taller, or a guy was really fat, or whatever. It Doesn't say anything about Samson. We assume he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, because, but there's no indication he could have been a skinny Puerto Rican like me, right? Just a little girly man running around. But when the Spirit of God hit him, he could kick butt and knock things over, which had to be very impressive, all right? My guess is he probably looked very plain and yet did these amazing things. But he was really jacked up. The man was a fornicator, out of control. The boy had issues with the zipper, keeping it up. And he was doing all kinds of stuff he shouldn't be doing. He finally winds up with this crazy chick named Delilah, which if you keep up the fornicating, that's what you're going to wind up with, some crazy chick. So he winds up with Delilah. Delilah keeps asking him, how can I kill you? Now, that should be a red flag. I'm just throwing that out there, you know. When someone says, you know, what can I do to knock you off? Then, you know, to move on. But he wouldn't tell her. He says, well, if you braid my hair, I'll lose my power. She braids his hair and says, the Philistines are here to kill you. And he'd just get up and he'd kill them all because he's so strong. Spirit of God had come on. She'd get mad at him. Then he'd tell her another story. Kept telling her stories. She finally got mad and started crying. You won't tell me how to kill you and you say you love me. (laughs) Man, that's crazy. So finally, he tells her. Cuts off his hair and now he gets, you know, he's in prison. They pop his eyeballs out. He's miserable and yet God still uses him anyway. You talk about someone who was jacked up, messing it up. We know the story of Jonah. Jonah God speaks to God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Preach. He's thinking, I ain't going to Nineveh. <laughs> I, ain't, I hate that place. So he takes off like he's going to outrun God. Right? People, I'm telling you, you know who does this? Sometimes we do that. People do that. You think you're going to outrun God. A lot of young people, teenagers. People are trying. You think I'm, I'm going to get away from church? I'm sick of my parents' church. I'm going to go right. Out. I'm just going to get away from God. You're delusional. Everywhere you go, God's already going to be there waiting for you. You cannot outrun God. All right, don't mess with God. So he tries to outrun God. He gets on a boat. <laughs> Not exactly a fast way to run from God. But they get out there and they hit this big storm, and I mean, the sailors are freaking. Now, these are not weekend boaters like me. I only go out if the water is calm (laughs) because I don't like the "Ah!" But they're out there. They're men. They're manly men, men of the sea. And they are freaking. That means it's a bad storm. All right. It's like when you're flying an airplane and the pilot starts sweating. That's a bad sign. All right. So everybody's freaking out. What is going on? And they're so superstitious that someone must have made some God angry because it was bizarre. It was like unnatural storm. And Jonah goes, that's me. (laughs) What? Yeah, God told me, I ain't going on a night, stupid animal. Throw me in the ocean. You ever feel like that? Somebody just kill me. (laughs) That's how discouraged you can get sometimes, right? You just wish somebody would run you over with a truck or something but quick, not slow. <laughs> so finally, they didn't know what to do, so they take Jonah and they whip him overboard and the calm comes over the sea. I thought, wow. So Jonah thinks, finally, I'm just going to die. Well, a big fish gobbles him up. Goes out and pukes him up. That had to be lovely. And he pukes him up on the, on the land. Guess where he lands? Nineveh. <laughs> He's, That's got to suck, right? You're, you're running from Nineveh. And bleh, you come out, oh man, what is this? And you're looking, welcome to Nineveh. <laughs> and even though he's running, God still uses him to do an amazing thing. Says the entire city repented from a preacher who didn't even want to preach to him. That's pretty impressive. We know about David. David was quite the character. Wait till we get to David. You younger guys are going to dig David because he was a killing machine, man. This guy, he was no girly man. I've often said I wish they would do a real movie about David instead of, you know, Richard Gere. (laughs) What was that all about, you know? I mean, they should have put Arnold Schwarzenegger or somebody in there, you know, somebody, you know. Jean-Claude Van Damme, or somebody should have been, because he was a killing machine. This guy, man, he was unreal. One time the Bible says he's walking along, and a bunch of these Philistines are up on the high rocks. They got the advantage. You got the high ground. You got the advantage, especially in those days. And they're going, David got so mad, I'm going to go up there and kill every one of you. So he starts climbing up the rocks. Now, they're not just waiting for him to get up to the top, like in The Princess Bride. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? There's no patience. Huh? They're throwing spears out. They're doing everything to try and stop. him. He gets up there and he kills a whole lot of them. Whoa. Don't take him off, right? I mean, this guy's something else. The battles they fought, it's going to be highly entertaining for those of you who like guy flicks. Anyway, we'll get there. But he's the great David. He's the one who killed Goliath. Everybody else is afraid. He's a teenager. He's not afraid. He goes out there, takes a rock, knocks him out, takes a sword and cuts off his head. That was impressive. <laughs> the enemy goes running. Oh! He writes the psalms, these beautiful psalms that we quote. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. All these comforting scriptures. A great man of God. Well, this great man of God, he messes up. He's got four wives. Apparently one wasn't stressful enough. He's got everything he needs, but one day he's walking on his castle and he looks down and sees a lady taking a bath. Which, by the way, ladies, curtains. So he's looking at her, and she's quite a hoochie mama. He's like, whoa, look at that. And he sets out to introduce himself, and he seduces her, has sex with her, gets her pregnant, and murders her husband. Now, there's a lot of us in this room and a lot of people watching me on television right now and on our campuses. We've done some incredibly regrettably stupid things and made some bad decisions, without a doubt. But very few of us have gotten to that point. Lust, lying, adultery, and killing somebody so that you could have his wife. This is really bad. This is David, a man after God's own heart. Even David got all jacked up. Jump to the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament's full of these guys. New Testament, you got Judas. He's obsessed by money, and if you'll read, you'll notice in the thing that he, he was critical about the way money was being handled. Which, if you're the kind of person who always goes on complaining how the church spends money, I don't know if they should spend money that way. I don't like the way they spend the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a cousin of Judas. We doing all that now. If you got something specific to say, come say it. We'll listen to you, whether or not we agree with you. No promises. You can always say something, but this this backbiting, whining. I don't like the way they spend money. That's what Judas did. Always belly aching about something. Ah, they spend too much money on toilet paper here. They should use that real rough stuff. Then nobody'll use very many. You know that's what the do. audience. <laughs> don't be a Judas. You were so obsessed, always complaining about everything, and finally sold Jesus out for a bag of silver. You have to remember, he was one of Jesus' apostles. He wasn't just a guy off in the distance. He was there for all the miracles, all the things that Jesus had said. In fact, Jesus sent his disciples out to do and perform miracles, and undoubtedly, Judas himself did. But he got all jacked up. We read of Peter. After all that Peter had been through with Jesus, in the end, he denies knowing him. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. Don't, don't say I have anything to do with him. Of course, he feels horribly afterwards. But my point is, is there's a lot of people that have made a lot of bad mistakes and done a lot of dumb things. See, we get excited about coming to Christ Old things are passed away. All things become new. Yes, that's great. We, 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 we grasp that. We embrace it. We celebrate it. woo But then what do we do after we start messing up? Still, does that mean that God is done with us? He's not done with you. John writes in 1 John's epistle, he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He said, but pastor, I've, I've done it six times. I, I keep falling. I keep getting mad and kicking that stupid neighbor's dog. I, 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 Whatever it is. Isn't there a limit? Isn't there a limit? Apparently not. One day Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me. Up to seven times. He's being very altruistic here. He thinks he's being incredibly holy. Seven times, right. Now, he's from a culture, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I was just in Israel. We were on the Sea of Galilee when we hear this big rumbling explosion because the Syrians had shot down one of the Israeli jets. People said, were you afraid? No, because the Israelis went in and blew up 17 of their bases. <laughs> Don't mess with these people. <laughs> they are intense. Everything was quiet after that. Eye for an eye, see? Tooth for a tooth, that's the culture. So Peter comes along and says, Lord, how about I forgive him seven times? And if you stop and think about it, he is really kind of being altruistic. He's being kind of nice, right? Right. Imagine somebody doing the same irritating thing to you seven times in one day. That's irritating. Right? I mean, I'm a fairly nice guy, and I have a beautiful bow tie. But you do that to me seven times, I'm probably going to punch you in the face. And and then confess it later. (laughs) But surely, seven times, this is a lot. And Jesus goes, no, not seven times. He says, I tell you, 77 times in a day. And some translations say 70 times seven, which is 490 times. That's a lot of irritation going on. Apparently, there's not much of a limit to God's willingness to forgive even when we know better. Pastor, you saying we don't have to do the right thing? Yeah, actually, we do. We do. There's the truth of God's word that never changes. Everybody's trying to change the truth. It doesn't change. But well, we believe in grace. Grace does not change the truth. Grace covers us when we fall short of the truth. There's this battle that seems to be so contradictory between truth and grace. You know, there's two ways people approach this this battle and this desire to get things right, this grace and truth. The people who love truth, the truth people, they like to beat the snot out of people who don't measure up to the truth. Oh, some of them are good at it. Really, really, really good at it. Somebody messes up, they just love to slam them. Actually, evangelical Christianity from the Bible Belt is famous for this. I'm glad we don't live anywhere near the Bible Belt, though we love you all. But you know what I'm talking about, you guys from that area, man. Somebody messes up, man. They hammer them. Make examples of them. Publicly rebuke them. Especially if you're a pastor. Oh, man. You're toast. And I get it. Pastors are at a higher expectation. Jesus says to whom much is given, much should be required. But we're the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. Right? You go to battle in any other battle, you get wounded. They give you a medal. From one side, you think the guy should get the medal is the guy that ducked. (laughs) (laughs) We honor our wounded. Not in Christianity. No, not in evangelical Christianity. We hammer them. Line them up against the wall. Shoot them. Destroy their lives forever. A pastor falls short. We nail them to the wall. We think we're being so righteous and true when it's been, in fact, an absolute disaster. Some of the most talented men and women, this churches, our churches have ever seen have been destroyed because they did something stupid. How about we restore these people and not tear them apart and destroy their lives and their ministry and their brilliant minds and their work? But No, we got to fight for the truth. Got to hammer them. These are the people who love to throw stones. You Remember the story Jesus found a woman caught in a very act of adultery. That's got to be embarrassing. (laughs) It's not like they heard about her adultery. (laughs) They caught her doing the deed. This is humiliating. They drag her. By the way, where was the guy? They drag the girl. It's always the girl's fault. You know how that goes. Drag the girl to the public square, and they said, Jesus, Moses said we should stone such a woman. Jesus said, Well, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And they all walked away. Jesus looked at the woman and said, Where are your accusers? She said, There's no one here left. He said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. You know what's amazing about that verse of scripture? There is nowhere where it says she was sorry. Nowhere where she asked for forgiveness. Nowhere where she begged for mercy. He just let her off. He just let her off the hook. That's grace, see? That's unbelievable grace. But today, a lot of Christians were stone throwers. Good night. I fear such a situation happened and Jesus said, Whoever's without sin casts the first stone. There'd be so many stones flying. (laughs) Think we're under attack. Whip it. You deserve it. How dare you sit and fail. Man, don't be a stone thrower. Don't do that. Well, I'm disappointed. That person should have never done that. That pastor should have never done it. That person in that church should have... Hey, stop it. Put down the stones. Little mercy. Mercy little grace. Whenever I hear about someone who has done something wrong or bad, I always think, but for the grace of God, there goes me. So there are the stone throwers. They're fighting for the truth. Then you got the other extremes that people deny there's any truth. They say grace erases the truth. It doesn't matter what you do. The cross covers everything. You can lie, steal, adulterate, whatever other eights you can think of. No problem, because we just believe in grace. Well, that's an abomination. What they're saying is none of it matters. You quote from the Bible to them, they dismiss the Bible, say, ah, it doesn't really matter. Who knows what the Bible really means? Don't go down that rat hole. Grace never erases the truth. The truth is always the truth. Grace just covers us when we fall short. You say, well, that's contradictory grace and truth. Actually, it's not. John, when he wrote his gospel, wrote about Jesus, he calls him the word. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Both was in him at the same time. So if this morning you don't feel like you quite measure up, if you feel there's no way God would ever use you, if you feel like you're just too jacked up, I want you to think of Moses, Noah, Jephthah, Samson, Jonah, David, Judas, and Peter. If you feel like you are a mess, you'll quickly discover you're in some pretty good company. Let's talk about the truth. Let's teach the truth. Let's strive for the truth. Let's do whatever we got to do to get to the truth in our lives and make things right. But never forget grace. And always remember if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're about to take communion together. It's always a great time every week. Examine your heart. Where are you at? Make things right with God. Keep a short account walk in his grace, strive for his truth, but know that you're always loved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us that we are called to teach the truth and uphold the truth and argue for the truth, but we must never forget grace and help us never to take grace to the point where we think there is no truth. We can do anything we want. That's not true. Help us, Lord, to understand Jesus who is full of grace And truth. In your holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen.